And we started part one, essentially, of uh, this individual named Samson, who many of us have either uh, learned about or we just heard of his name, or he was just that strong guy that was in these child Bible stories that were read to us. And I know for some of you last week, uh, your bubbles were popped in regards to what you thought Samson was, and you walked away, and you were like, oh, he is awful. Uh, he's a complicated uh, individual, all right? So we started that last week. We talked about how he was set aside by God for a specific plan and purpose. Uh, this is a unique time in the history of Israel. Uh, as we're in the Old Testament, they've come into the promised land. Uh, but they continue to, to intermingle and, and they continue to adopt the same uh, gods of the nations that are around them that they were called to drive out. They don't have a king yet. And so God raises up judges to deliver them. And, and so um, Samson is one of those judges. And we saw that he was set aside before he was even born, set aside by God. And part of that calling was a Nazarite vow, which was a unique way of doing things. And, and his vow was to last his whole life. And, and last week we, we saw that, man, uh, he had some major character flaws, right? Uh, lust, um, his, his temper, out of control. He would react. What he saw, he took. Uh, what he felt, he went with it, regardless if it was contrary to God's will. But what was so conflicting about it is uh, God worked through him. In amazing ways. And so we were reminded that God can use absolutely anything or anyone to bring about his perfect plan and his will. In fact, sin, we shared last week, sin has to bow at the feet of Christ to the will of God, even sin. And, and so last week we ended with Samson was supposed to get married. Uh, he makes this really just a dumb bet with his groomsmen that bet over if they could interpret a riddle of his turned into a disaster because the bet was 30, uh, 30 articles of clothing or, or 30 sets of clothing. And uh, he was expecting them not to get it. They ended up threatening his wife. She gave them the answer. They came back, answered the riddle. And so Samson, in a fit of rage, goes to a town, murders 30 guys, takes their clothes and gives it to them. And then he just takes off and goes back home without consummating uh, his marriage. And so that's what we step into. Welcome. All right. Okay. <laughs> Once again, if you come in here like, like, oh, we're going to get like the five principles of leadership to Samson. Uh, this is not that church. Okay. In fact, you're going to hear how not to lead. So Judges chapter 15 verse, let's look at verses one through eight. Uh, it says this. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. He is a horrible dad. I just want to highlight that. This is a horrible father. All right, let's keep going. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? 
And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Okay, so Samson, uh, at this point, his anger has subsided. And he's like, oh yeah, I made a vow to marry this girl. I need to consummate my marriage. And so I'm ready now. I, I feel like I'm in check. So he makes his way over there. Now he's in the doghouse, obviously. And so he grabs a goat, a special goat as a gift uh, to come back. And as he makes his way to the house, the father-in-law is there to meet him, which is never a good thing. And the father-in-law meets him at the front door and says, listen, uh, we honestly thought by how you murdered those 30 individuals and did all of that, that you hated my daughter. And, and so I kind of gave her to your best man. But hey, look at her younger sister. Come on. And so Samson goes off, right? Just loses his mind, loses his temper. And in kind of a creative way, and, and he goes and he catches 30, or not 30, 300 foxes. Now, I don't know how he did that, right? Like, I just had a moment when I was studying this, like, I mean, how many days passed, right? When he caught 300 foxes. It doesn't say anywhere else in scripture that he was a catcher of foxes. Like, he wasn't, like, that wasn't his occupation. And so, one, that's amazing. And then what he does is absolutely horrific, right? He ties the tails together with a torch, lights the torch, sends all these foxes loose, and it is an absolute disaster. Fires everywhere, uh, and the Philistines are enraged. They're enraged. So the leaders show up. Who, who in the world did this to our people uh, and hurt our country like this? Who, who did this? And they say it was Samson, again, because his father-in-law gave his wife to his best man. So in response to that, the Philistine leaders actually go, they burn the father-in-law and Samson's wife. So then Samson once again does what? Loses his temper. He wants revenge, and so he slaughters many of their men then it says he retreats to the cleft of the rock at Edom. Now, one of the things that is really important to see that we kind of see dropped in throughout this as we look at just these crazy stories here is Samson continues to feel justified in what he does. Do you notice that? He continues to talk about how they're getting what they deserve. I'm paying them back for what they've done to me. And I think one of the things that's really important for us is, you know, I mean, clearly he is upset. They've attacked essentially his family, the person he was in love, he's in love with, and that they, they, you know, they burned her and all of this. And, and so this is family, right? This is, uh, this is someone I deeply care about. When it comes to you and I, and, and what really hurts is if someone says something or does something or attacks in some way your family. And, and, and I think for a lot of us, we're very prone to then throw all morality, all uh, biblical understanding out the window, and we react from this place of a threat, don't we? I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to protect my situation. I'm going to protect my interests. And so, and ultimately what's kind of scary is other people will actually validate that. 
And, and so Samson is justifying something, and, and there's, some, there's a clear theme in Scripture, and it's this. There are no situations where God is okay with sin. Like, there's no, like, there's no justification. Like, it's never right to do wrong in order to do right. That never works. But there Samson is, and he's continuing to, in his mind, justify these uh, wrong actions. Uh, and then we get to verse 9, uh, as he's there. And, and, and it says, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Isn't that a never-ending game? Well, then we're going to get you back, Right? Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are ruler over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands we will surely not kill you. So they bound him uh, with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Leah, the, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramathlie. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, uh, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Leah. And water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, therefore the name of it was called En Hakor. It is at Leah to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Okay, once again, we're in historical narrative here. So we're reading it. Uh, it's just walking us through. It's telling uh, the story. And essentially what's happened is after uh, Samson's done his last attack and he's hanging out uh, at, at, at this rock area, uh, the, the Philistines have had enough, right? They're like, we are done with this guy. He uh, has attacked us. He is the source of the opposition for our country. And so they armor up and they go into Judah and, and, and Judah, the people of God, uh, they are terrified, right? And what we see here, which uh, is very, very frustrating, is that the Philistines who are uh, against God, who are their oppressors, when, when the Philistines approach them, they are more concerned about keeping the peace and remaining under their rule than they are fighting back because they are God's chosen people. In other words, they are more uh, consumed and, and, and they are more obsessed with maintaining the culture that is there versus changing a culture so that they, they can worship the Lord God and him alone. To the point where they take 3,000 of their own, own men, 
3,000 of the people of God, right? 3,000 of them to go up to their deliverer, their judge, and they are so bent on remaining at peace with people who are in opposition to God that they are going to arrest Samson and deliver him, uh, their rescuer. They're going to deliver him to their enemy. That's how afraid they are to go into conflict with those who are against God. To the point where they're like, Samson, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to us? They'd rather be enslaved. And so after they promised Samson, hey, we're not, we're not going to kill you, okay? We're not going to kill you. We'll need more than 3,000 probably to do that. We just want to tie you up and deliver you over. And after they agree to do that, Samson allows them to do that. And as they make their way, delivering Samson into the hands of the Philistines, they're shouting at him and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and it gets crazy. Right? The binds, the chains that are on him just drop. And he has this strength. And then he sees this donkey's jawbone, right? Now, I think something that's really important there is, was he supposed to touch that jawbone? I don't know. No, right? He's a, he's a Nazarite vow. He's not to touch anything dead, right? But we're starting to see a trend with his Nazarite vow, aren't we? That that's, you know, negotiable. He's already been breaking it. And so, and so he thinks nothing of it. He grabs this jawbone and then does uh, essentially something that we can't even comprehend. He strikes down a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. And then we see him for the first time interact with God, uh, the very God who has chosen and set him aside, the very God who empowered him to do all that he's done, the very God who's continued to what? To rescue him. And how does he speak? to the sovereign Lord of the universe, he essentially complains to him and then he demands something, right? He's like, okay, so you just give me the power uh, to do that and then you're gonna just kill me because of, uh, you know, because I'm gonna die of thirst here. Are you kidding me? Like, why would you do that? Now, if I'm God in that moment, I've got one lightning bolt stored up, I'm sending it. Like, done. I can, I can strengthen whoever I want. Goodbye, right? At that point. But I'm not God for obvious reasons. And so, uh, God responds. God responds. You ever get mad at God? God, why'd you do that? You know, when I read it and I was studying, I was like, God, why'd you give him water? Let him thirst a little bit. God, he's against what you're doing. And what we see here, you guys, is Samson uses God's strength and he's all too willing to use that strength, but he doesn't depend on God except when he's in situations that are beyond his ability to, to handle, right? I mean, uh, he doesn't speak to God again until the very end of chapter 16 when he's blind and he's trapped. And yet God provides water. And I guess the question that, that I felt just... Um, burdened by is how in the world can this guy be so empowered by the spirit to do these feats that are supernatural and yet show no patience, no humility, no self-control? 
right? And, and, and so I, I think at the end of the day, what we need to understand is that the Bible has always made a distinction that most of us are completely unaware of. And here's the distinction, that it's possible to have the gifts of the Spirit and still lack the fruits of the Spirit. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul tells us uh, that the gifts of the Spirit are, are all of these incredible skills, uh, these, these abilities uh, for serving, for doing ministry, for leading, uh, for prophesying, for understanding, uh, for serving all of these incredible things that, that help people, in, in particular, the very people of God, uh, the, the church. Uh, but then in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, and I'll just have him pull that up on the screen to remind us, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Such things that I don't see in Samson at all. So he tells us these are the fruit. These are, and, and these fruits of the Spirit, these are the character traits of being with God. Of being. But then in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Paul tells us, and he says this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, oh, that sounds great, and understand all mysteries, that's amazing, and all knowledge, and if, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, ooh, that's that gift. Uh, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's telling us that it is possible to have all of these incredible gifts, right? That he, that he lists there, these gifts of teaching, speaking, and leadership, and yet still lack the fruit of love, and he says, without which these gifts are just gifts. So when we read scripture, we notice at times that we come across individuals, men and women, just like Samson, who have incredible gifts. The Spirit of God works in and through their lives, and yet when it comes to their character and their holiness, we go, what in the world? How? And you guys, 1 Corinthians 13 is a reminder for us that we need to be aware of these very same things happening in our own lives. And what blinds us, what manipulates us, what deceives us is, is the fact that the gifts of the Holy Spirit can actually operate in us. In other words, we could be helping people. Uh, we could be leading movements. We could be uh, seeing people come to know the Lord. There could be incredible results. Uh, God could be blessing and building your ministry, your reach, your gift of evangelism, uh, your, your gift of leadership, your gift of, uh, of service, your, your, your gift of faith. All of these things could be happening in your lives. People could be coming up to you and going, oh my goodness, God is at work in your life. Man, you must be anointed. And, and all of these great things are taking place. But what we see here is that you could be operating and doing all of those things, and yet your inner life could be a complete wreck. 
Your inner life could be the complete opposite of what is happening that everyone else is seeing. And, and, and I think that it's, it's a sobering thought when we think of just uh, even so many leaders in Christianity and, and just so many news headlines that have come out even just recently. Some of the most effective teachers, gifted leaders, counselors, all of a sudden it comes to the surface that their private lives were very far from what was being projected out. And so we have to first and foremost recognize the biblical distinction between gifts and fruit. Because many, many people that I meet with, they look at their gifts as proof that they're fine spiritually. And they'll tell me, look at, look at what happened here. Look at this. Look at these numbers. Look at these results. Uh, look, at, look at what God did there in and through me. And so they automatically assume, so man, I am like so tight with God. I mean, we are BFFs. I mean, we, uh, we are in alignment. I mean, look at what he's doing in my life. And, and so we automatically assume that I'm doing great with God. Me and God are close. Uh, me, me and God's relationship could not be stronger. And we're basing that solely off of results, right? And yet God says the very uh, demonstration of uh, him transforming your life is not going to come in all these works. It's going to come in the very fruit of the spirit in your life. It's going to be in the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness, right? The self-control, all of these things that you can't produce on your own. He says, I want to do that in you. And that's the marking of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And so you guys, that's, that's what we, so we, we have to evaluate, like, am I caught up with uh, results or, or am I like Samson where, where I'm so caught up in these incredible feats and these works that God has done in and through me that, that I've lost sight that there's actually a train wreck when it comes to obedience to Christ in my life, in my inner life. I mean, it's dangerous. I mean, it's a dangerous thought. And I think about it often to where I could be up here preaching and I could be the absolute opposite of what I'm saying to my kids. That could be up here preaching and all of these things and, 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 and trying to encourage you guys to take all these steps in your faith and, and your walk with God and take it seriously. And yet I'm a horrible husband. That I'm not spending any time with the Lord for me. And so we have to be aware of that temptation, the very thing that we see Samson fail at. Our generation is so twisted and confused in this. And guys, I'll tell you this too. One of the, one of the greatest helps to you not becoming that or something's different in here than out there is having intimate, relationship with other followers of Jesus. You guys, one of the things that I, I see often is we've become very independent in our faith. In other words, we're this solo show when it comes to our faith. And, 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 and you guys, you want to talk about a warning here. What do you see with Samson? He's alone. Right? Where, where do you see uh, his team? Where do you see uh, the other people with him? Where do you see uh, his, his friend that was with him, uh, that was helping him, that was, that was calling him out on, on where he was far from God, uh, where he was doing things that he shouldn't, that, that was questioning his motives? You guys, there's nobody there. 
And, and, and so when you think about uh, how in the world can someone be so disconnected from God that they can believe something that's not even true, that they can actually believe they're justified in murdering people, how in the world does that happen? You guys, it, it starts to slowly unravel when you stop allowing any other person from speaking into your life. Because you start to take on a narrative that you yourself believe and nobody's pushing back on that. And so you guys, what you see modeled all throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, you guys, when Jesus sent out his disciples, what did he do? He sent them out in twos, in pairs. You guys, when you see the explosion of the church throughout the book of Acts and beyond, you see them going out in groups, right? It was very clear, don't do this alone. So that's a challenge to us. That has been monumental for me. Because I know in my flesh, I want to show that I can do it, that I can get through it, that I can figure it out. And yet what may just save me from becoming this is having other Jesus followers who care deeply about my soul, not my results, and bringing them into my life. And you guys, you need the same thing to battle what you're battling. It, it says that at the end, that what? Samson led Israel for 20 years. Isn't that crazy? We just think it happened, happened, happened. There's 20 years in here where Samson leads Israel. And then in chapter 16, verses one through three, it says, Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her and the Gazites were, were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the, the place and set an ambush uh, for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, and, and bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, so Samson's in Gaza. Now, why is that significant? Gaza is in Philistine territory, and it's not just Philistine territory. You guys, Gaza's the capital. It's the capital. What is he doing there? I mean, you want to talk about just foolishness, right? I mean, this is, a, this is a famous destroyer of the Philistines, and he walks into the capital. I mean, you can talk about an inflated view of himself. He walks into the capital, and then he engages in a relationship with his prostitute here, and, and, which just destroys any view that we're like, oh, finally, he's going to take the mantle, and he's going to rescue Israel. No, he's still being led by his sexual addiction, by his lust, and so he's going in there to engage in this, and, and like, word's not going to get out, right? So word gets out, the leaders of the Philistines, everyone, they're like, we have finally gotten him. We're going to use the very thing that he keeps falling into against him. So they literally have their army surrounding the city, waiting for him. And then, and then they're going to strike in the morning. And then all of a sudden, we don't know how or why, but Samson wakes up at midnight. And then Samson does one of the most ridiculous things I've, I've ever read in my life. Samson gets up and he goes to the gate of the city, not the gate to your garden, and and picks it up, I don't know how, right? I'm a little guy. Picks it up and puts it on his back, right? I don't know how. And then he just starts walking with it. Now, guys, here's why you should study your Bible. <laughs> Hebron is almost 40 miles away. He carried that thing almost 40 miles, mostly uphill, Right? Some of you are like runners in here and you're like, uh, like 40 miles. 
carries this thing that, that I probably couldn't budge. He carries it, and, and we're like, why didn't they attack him? What would you have done if you saw that? Right? I'm sure they're watching it going, hey, you fight him. Go get him. Like, eh, no. You see what he's doing right now? Like, no, I'll get him when he drops it. No, you won't. Yeah, let's all get him. No, you heard about the jawbone thing. Let's just see how far he can go. Okay, right? Like, no one is fighting that. They are all sitting there just probably, we're like, oh, they were asleep. You, are you kidding me? No. They're not asleep. They are sitting there just going, right? <laughs> and... And that's what he does, you guys, the incredible uh, miracle. And, but you guys, we get so caught up in that that we don't see that this recklessness, this, this pattern that he's established, it is deepening, isn't it? It's deepening. You guys, there's reckless patterns in your life right now that Satan wants to use against you. They're saying that we start to compromise very slowly, very subtly, and then it continues to cycle. And, and, and this is what the enemy does. He, he cycles it, but it gets bigger. It gets more intense. It gets more reckless. But we're so used to it at that point that we don't even see how far we've gone to where the point is he's in the capital uh, of the Philistines engaging in prostitution and, and he thinks I'm fine. That's the pattern of addiction, isn't it? The cycle increases force and power. And then in verse four, it says, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give, uh, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. <laughs> okay. So the more God blesses Samson, the more Samson grows confident in his own strength. In other words, he used uh, the very blessings and gifts from God as a reason to forget God. And, and, and so the, the adversity, the, the, uh, uh, everything that is building, we see where he's going further and further and drifting further away. He hasn't learned his lesson. He goes right back into Philistine territory, falls in love with another uh, woman named uh, Delilah. And remember, the Philistines are against God. They are in opposition to God. They are oppressing the people of God. And so he goes once again into their territory. His lusts uh, take over uh, his life. And, and, and so he engages in this relationship. Now, the Philistines are like, man, this guy just keeps falling right in the same trap. And so they approach Delilah. Now, this isn't just anybody. These are the leaders of the Philistines, the leaders of, of, of all of their people. They show up at her door and they're like, we're going to give you this much money if you deliver Samson to us. Wow. You give me that much money? And you're the leaders. In other words, like, man, and he's like this war hero, this legend. I, I, I could be the one. I'll be famous. Everyone will know who I am. I'm set for life. And so immediately, she, motivated by money, starts to go to work on Samson to try to get the answer to his secret for his strength. And what we see in verses 7 through 14 is there's three rounds, essentially, of Delilah pressuring Samson. And, and, and Samson gives her a response. Samson loves what he's getting from her. So he says, oh, I got to keep this thing going. So he lies to her, right? He says, oh, fresh bowstrings. Tie me up with that. You're good. Well, 
They do that. That doesn't work, uh, right? And then, and then uh, she's mad. She's sad. She's, uh, she's hurt. She feels mocked. Then again, right? Oh, this time it's new ropes. You need new ropes. That'll do it. Does the same thing. She feels mocked, hurt, betrayed. Then he says, listen, uh, sorry for lying. If you just weave my hair into the loom, pinning it, that'll work. Do that. So she does that again. Once again, uh, he breaks out. She's uh, a mockery to her people. And, 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 and I think what's interesting, though, is with each lie, you see him get closer to the source, huh? You see that? She's wearing him down. Enemy wants to wear us down, doesn't he? And there's one more additional round of back and forth between Delilah and Samson. And then in verse 15, she says this. She says, and how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man uh, and, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So she says, how in the world can you say you love me? You say you love me, that you desire me when your heart is not with me. You continue to lie. And, and, and at that point, Samson breaks, right? It's day after day after day. And he wants this relationship. He feels like he needs this relationship. And, and so he breaks down and he tells her everything. He couldn't bear to disappoint her. And you guys, what you see here is a dysfunctional, destructive relationship. See, they're, they're examples, Samson and Delilah, they're examples of when a couple uses each other versus serves each other. And, and, and they're saying, oh, I love you. And they had great passion, probably romance, all of these things. And yet it, it wasn't really, I love you. It was, I love what you can do for me right? And so I would tell, you know, and so I would tell anybody who's dating someone, and if they're dating someone and they say, I need you, you better have flares are going off. If that ever happens, flares should be shooting off in your mind. And this happens, you guys, we see these destructive types relationship all throughout our culture and our community. Delilah, now knowing the truth, she sends for those leaders that offer to pay her. Samson's head is shaved while he sleeps and his strength left him. Now, there's something really interesting here that we can't just ignore. Samson knows 
that he's told Delilah the truth, right? Like he knows. I told her the truth. And he must know as he awoke from his sleep that his hair was gone, right? You guys are so, this is awesome. Okay. I, I mean, you don't wake up having long hair, never been cut, and then you wake up and it's all gone and you go, oh, wow, right? Like you notice, okay? I made a, a bet. Um, it was a spiritual bet. It was okay. And I made it a, a long time ago. It was with youth kids and when I was a youth pastor. And essentially what I told them is, if a certain number of kids come to this incredible event, you guys can shave my head. My wife, I've never seen a stare like she stared at me when I said that out loud. And it wasn't a positive stare. And so they, 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 came, they, they hit it. They destroyed the number. They were, it was incredible. It rallied them. And, uh, and so they, they, the next following week, they got to all shave my head. And, and I'll just tell you right now, my head does not look good. Like some of you have a good shaved head. Mine is awful, right? So I'm trying to hold on to this as long as I got it. So, uh, cause it's just weird up there. So when I woke up though, it was like, I, I didn't wake up going, oh, everything's normal. I was very aware everything's gone. Okay. So, so Samson knows he's told her the truth. He wakes up from his sleep and he knows his hair is gone. And yet, what does he say? And this is a key phrasing here. He says, I'm gonna go out just as before. Because he didn't know the Lord had left him. See, Samson assumed that his strength would still be there, didn't he? Even though his hair was gone. And how can you blame him, right? Why would he expect any different? Because he had uh, literally made it a pattern of breaking his Nazarite vow, right? Over and over again, he had compromised that, he had broken it. And, and so this key phrase that I'll, I'll go out just as before uh, really affirms his belief in himself that, that no matter what he does or how often he does it in regards to breaking the will and the law of God, God has always come through for him, strengthened him, rescued him. So why wouldn't God do the same now? I mean, think about this. Like he tells Delilah the truth and then he doesn't run away. What does he do? He goes to sleep on her lap. Like you don't do that if you feel like secret's out. See, he didn't really believe anymore that his hair or his Nazarite vow was the source of his strength. He'd come to believe that that strength was his. It was his. And that no matter what he did, he wouldn't or couldn't lose it. Guys, that hits home. He was so deceived by himself that he couldn't even see the dependence that he had to have on God. And I think for so many of us, God has blessed us. Uh, you look back at your life, you look at all the moments. I mean, for some of you, just to be here in this room, uh, for some of you, it's, it's a miracle in and of itself. You think of the things, the situations that God has done in your life. Uh, you, you think of the times he's rescued you. You think of the times he's, he's empowered you. Uh, and, and just moments that you can't really describe 
outside of something bigger than me happened there. And, and, and you can point and you go, man, like God did that. But, but, but what we see uh, happening is when I, I start to live in a way that, that in my gifting where, where things are just happening how I think they should, success is happening, all of these things, what, what slowly uh, can, can start to unravel inside of me is this belief that, that my giftings are mine. They're not God's. You guys, whatever gifting God has given you to be used by him, whatever gifts, uh, whatever accomplishments, whatever that is, you guys, that is a gift from God and God alone that you have been given. And, and it is not yours to mess around with. It's not yours to walk around and to pray like, look at me, look at what I can do and live in that lane. No, every gift that God has given us it is an opportunity for us to give it back to him. It's an opportunity to say, God, I don't deserve this. I can't believe you're doing this in me and through me. And so now, God, uh, I want to offer it to you. I want to serve you in this capacity. And it's that humility, that, um, uh, that, that rhythm of life where I continue to, to just submit myself to the Lord that he comes through you guys. And it, and it stays his. And so you remain in the posture that you need to remain. And Samson was no longer in that posture. He had taken ownership of the gifts that were God's, and they were always God's. And now God's strength is taken away. The Philistines, it says, seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They bound him and brought him to Gaza, where he's going to be grinding grain in prison the rest of his life. Guys, I, I, I can't tell you enough. Like, we, every single one of us, we're all vulnerable to temptation. We're all vulnerable. We have all these... All these uh, bends and biases towards different sins. And, and, and you guys, over and over again, the pattern is clear. The enemy wants to take those things and enslave you in it, but he wants to deceive you in it so you stay in it so that he can start a cycle in your life that grows because ultimately he wants to do the same thing that he did to Samson. He wants to do it to you. And that's why Paul continues to challenge us all throughout the New Testament to be alert. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 12 and 13, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? Like, like, don't think you're above this. Like, it's easy to look at Samson, right? Especially like the Old Testament and go, man, I would have never done that. I would have never done that. I would never think that way. I wouldn't abandon God like that. I wouldn't assume that this is just mine. Well, uh, the moment I start to think that way is the moment I start to fall into it. That's what Paul is saying. And then he, he says this, just to encourage us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful and he will provide a way out. And so Paul is saying, not only do you need to stay alert and to be mindful and to be watchful about these things that Satan wants to introduce into your life, but he says, you need to know that there is a way out. There always is a way out of that temptation. But what we see, you guys, here for the first time in the book of Judges, God's judge has been defeated. But it tells us his hair began to grow again. And so we close with the last part where it says in verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. 
And when their hearts were merry, they were drunk, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So they've got it, right? They gouged out his eyes. He's, he's, he's sentenced to hard labor the rest of his life. He doesn't have his strength. So they, they threw a huge party, thousands and thousands of people at their temple, the temple for Dagon. And what are they celebrating? Why are they worshiping their God? Their God is superior to the God of Israel. And their God defeated Samson. And so they're celebrating this. And, 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 and I mean, the drinks are flying. Everything's happening, right? And so uh, ultimately they get to the point where they're like, let's bring him out. We want to mock him. We want to humiliate this former war hero. And so they bring him out. And, and, and he's, he's literally uh, just, this, uh, just this guy who's being led by a young man out there into the middle. And they just start mocking him. And he just asks this young guy like, hey, will you just put me uh, next to the, the pillars that hold this thing up so that I may lean uh, against them. And what we see here is Samson then uttering his last cries to the Lord God. And we see a new humility here, don't we? His prayer asks the Lord to remember him. What a different posture. Lord, remember me. I'm pretty forgettable, aren't I? I've done a lot. I've done a lot against you. I've become my own God. I, I did all these things. I reacted, I responded, I was controlled by my desires, my lust, uh, my anger, all these things, God. And, and, and at the end of the day, I broke the very vow that showed my, that I was to be sacred, to be set aside, to be used by you. And so God, I'm very forgettable at this point, but I ask that you would remember me. What a difference, huh? The guy who's like, man, I'm, I can do whatever I want. I don't need God demanding of God, give me water right now. And, and, it, and it causes us to go back to Hebrews 11, right? In Hebrews 11, uh, 32 uh, through 34, he's listed as one of the heroes of the faith, right? And, and, and this is that first point, that first moment that you go, okay, Maybe this is why he's listed there. And then in Hebrews 12, 34, and put it on the screen here, uh, it, it, it tells us that, that these were what? They were made strong out of weakness. Boy, he fits that. Samson had been humbled and he has seen his weakness. 
Yeah, he still says, God, I, I ask for revenge for what they've done to my eyesight. But would you just strengthen me one more time? He's finally acknowledging his dependence on God. He's finally acknowledging, God, you're sovereign. And with one final prayer in verse 30, he says, I'll die with it, God. Just give me the strength to do this. Samson pushed and down came the temple on all of the people who were celebrating a God who was in opposition to the true God. And he killed more enemies then than he did his entire life. And they brought him back. His people came and brought him back and they buried him. And his 20 years of judgeship had ended. Man, he's this tragic hero, isn't he? Called to the Lord only after he'd been completely broken and humbled. And so you guys, just some, just some questions for us as we close our time. One is, is the fruit of the spirit active and growing in your life? Is the fruit, the fruit results from being with the Lord, with my life and my heart aligning to his will. Is there fruit that's growing or am I evaluating myself off of actions, off of uh, responses or works of the spirit? Are, are you justifying something that's wrong according to God's word? Do I continue to justify that not knowing that it's beginning a cycle in me? Is, is there a daily dependence with my walk with the Lord? Or if, if you're really honest, you got the salvation card, you prayed the prayer, and yet you don't really, by how you live, believe that you need him daily. Are you spiraling away or are you moving towards him? And Lord willing, this is a reminder a wake-up call. And Lord willing, God is saying, I love you. And I can use anybody, I can use anything. Just surrender. Acknowledge your need. Acknowledge your dependence. That only he can bring the very thing that Samson thought he could get on his own through the gifts of God. And at the end, it was enslavement, wasn't it? So there's freedom that God wants to bring. But will we receive it and will we choose to walk in it? Let's pray.